Welcome to Homilies Plus. I'm Deacon Adam Conk, and each week I'll share with you one of my homilies, plus a great unscripted conversation further exploring the scriptures with guests from around the world. Whether you're a devoted Catholic or exploring your faith, join us for an encounter with God's Word through the Holy Scriptures. Today's episode, you'll hear my homily from Tuesday of the fourth week in Ordinary Time, year two. First reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 18, in which David hears of the death of his son Absalom. And the gospel is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, where our Lord performs a mighty healing and raises a girl from the dead. After the homily, we'll have a conversation with Kelly Bro, co-founder of Redbird's Ministries, along with her husband Ryan. Redbird Ministries' mission is to serve those parents who are suffering from the loss of a child. You can find out more at redbird.love. Do not be afraid, just have faith. As we gather this morning on this Tuesday of the fourth week in Ordinary Time, we continue our reflection on the Holy Gospel according to Mark, and today we hear about an astounding situation. Crowds are speaking with Jesus, seeking his healing, his power in their life, because they had heard about his ability to heal and perform miracles, or maybe they witnessed it with their own eyes. And as crowds are upon him, one of the synagogue officials in Galilee, Jairus, comes to the Lord with a very urgent matter that cuts to the core of all human situations. His daughter is about to die. And the death of a child really is the greatest human tragedy. And so our Lord agrees. He leaves the crowd and sets out on his way. But on the way, a woman with her own desperate situation, hemorrhaging for 12 years, detains our Lord for a moment, reach out and grabs his cloak, and she's healed. And then our Lord begins to converse with this woman. And as he's conversing after her healing, one of the servants of the synagogue officials came to him and said, your daughter has died. And Jairus experiences a great blessing because when he receives that news no one wants to hear, your daughter has died, he's in the presence of our Lord himself. And Jesus looks into his eyes and into the eyes of every Christian at this point of suffering and says, do not be afraid, just have faith. Now that phrase, do not be afraid, appears at least 75 times in the New Testament. We see it in the mouths of angels as they appear to humans, that in the greatness of their apparition, they say, do not be afraid. We see it on the lips of Jesus when he appears walking on the sea, and they think it's a ghost. He says, do not be afraid. It's at these very terrible moments that are filled with confusion and awe and wonder that we hear these words, do not be afraid. And today's gospel is like that. A terrible human moment, your daughter has died. And Jesus looks right into Jairus' eyes and says, do not be afraid. St. Thomas Aquinas, in teaching on the passion of fear, wrote that all fear arises from love, since no one fears save what is contrary to something they love. 
And the greatest fear of all is that which has the danger of death for its object. In our first reading, we hear in our continuation of the second book of Samuel, David's greatest fear comes a reality as well. His son Absalom dies. Now, this son had rebelled against him, became his enemy, sought David's destruction and death. And yet, as David anxiously awaits news about his child and how is Absalom, he fears losing his own life more than he fears losing Absalom's. When he hears that terrible news, your child has died, he wept aloud, if only I had died instead of you, Absalom, my son, my son. The death of a child really is the greatest fear of a parent, and as it became a reality for David, it became a reality for Jairus in today's gospel. And yet, Jairus, encouraged to have faith, invites the Lord into that fear, into that pain, into that wound. He doesn't run from it. He goes to his daughter. He goes to the body of his dead daughter and brings Jesus with him. And Jesus performs a mighty miracle. He raises his daughter from the dead. And so as we continue our own journey of faith today with the Lord, it's good to ask ourselves from time to time, what am I afraid of? What role does fear play in my life? See, our fears reveal to us our loves, and our disordered fears reveal to us our disordered loves. They're also an invitation to trust in the Lord more deeply, that every time we touch on a fear or come to understand what we're afraid of in our life, our Lord speaks to us like he says to Jairus, do not be afraid, just have faith. Because our Lord really will deliver us from every evil outcome. Not every parent who goes to the Lord begging for their child's life sees the miracle Jairus did today. And not all of us who go to the Lord with our faith in the midst of our fears will have a life that is free from evil. But our Lord did raise Jairus' daughter so that we would all know that he has the power to raise all of our sons and daughters. Jairus did heal the woman with the affliction of an hemorrhage for 12 years so that all of us would know that our Lord has the power to heal every affliction and sickness and illness when he comes again in glory. And he may not deliver us from evil immediately for a time. He may allow it for some good. But no one who trusts in the Lord with faith is put to shame. We, he, we see in the letter of St. John, his first letter, chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And what he means is that if we come to understand the love of God for us, that as St. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not death, no principality or power, no height, no depth, then really, what fear is there left? If the one we love, God himself, really is in control of everything, and he promises us that if we follow him in faith, he will deliver us from every evil, then what fear is left? Only the fear of sin, the fear to offend our Lord. And the fear of the Lord, that great gift of the Holy Spirit, is the beginning of wisdom. Why did the woman approach Jesus with the hemorrhage? 
She approached in fear and trembling, the gospel tells us. Fear of the Lord, fear of offending him by our sin, is the only fear left for someone perfected in love of God. And so today, as we continue our journey and our walk with the Lord, we can meditate as an examination of conscience. Honestly, what am I afraid of? And we could hear our Lord tell us, do not be afraid, just have faith. We're joined now by Kelly Bro, who I assume is in Brobridge, Louisiana. Is that right, Kelly? I sure am. So you're seeing the same great weather I am right now. I just have to get outside and enjoy it in St. Martinville. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, Kelly, thanks for being with us. Uh, before we jump into the scriptures, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministries, Redbird Ministries? Yeah, so I uh, have been married to my husband, Ryan, for 21 years. We have um, five children, four in heaven and one on earth. She is a ninth grader at John Paul the Great Academy. And Redbird was started in 2018 to minister to families who are grieving the loss of a child. Awesome. And, uh, you know, as I was praying with the scriptures for this week and today, uh, I remembered immediately how I read in a new book you all put out for grieving dads, um, the very story. There was a great chapter on David and Absalom. Um, and uh, yeah, it just took me right back to those pages as I was reading it. And so I thought, well, this would be a great conversation for Kelly. So let's jump right in. So what are, what are your thoughts on the scriptures today? Uh, what kind of stood out to you? Yeah. So one of the things that really stood out to me is, um, you know, sometimes people like will put child loss in a box, like only early loss. But I mean, we, we see it so clearly. It starts off in the beginning, like in Genesis with Adam and Eve, they're for the first parents of loss when Cain kills Abel. I think that's how it goes, always forget. But um, And it goes throughout scripture. So one of the stories, which was the first reading today, when when Absalom is, is killed and really like their enemies, basically, at this point in time. But when it, what I was like really reflecting on, again, about how like sometimes people will categorize like child loss just as early loss. We see so clearly that, you know, when Absalom was was found killed, how really everyone was in mourning, especially David. King David, um, and losing an adult child always always feel like, you know, once they're our baby, they're always our baby. Like our our job on this side of of heaven is to get them to heaven. So no matter what their age is, really, um but yeah, it was just it was just so beautiful to see too, like how God's plan kind of just like going from being the chosen one to like this, like you know, during this time of just adversity, and then coming to this place of like deep sadness that he was experiencing as a parent of loss. That's a great point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. How that must have been going through his mind, his heart, how. He had been so faithful to God. He had been this uh, appointed king from being a poor shepherd in Bethlehem. And now he's uh, experiencing the worst human tragedy. Right. So I'm sure that was going through his mind and goes through the mind of those that lose children, especially those that have faith and have been close to the Lord. Yeah, I, th- I think sometimes like I, I know for myself, I've categorized, you know, if you do it right, if you pray enough, like we sometimes can think that we're immune to suffering or immune to losing a child. I know that wasn't a part of my plan. Uh, when I got married 21 years ago and we said our 
do. I, I, I meant I, I do, but I was like, I don't want to lose a child. Like God, this can't be a part of my story. And you know, it was, um, so like holding that space in your hands for both that suffering and, and still trusting in God's plan that, that is like this, that's the spiritual life. It is, it's so hard, but it is the ups and downs. It's the continuous surrenders, not a one-time thing. Yeah. When our Lord uh, said, do not be afraid to Jairus in the gospel, I, I was reminded how, you know, you hear advice all the time that when some when you're encountering someone who lost a child or anyone who's grieving, um, there are certain things you shouldn't say, certain things you should say. And I was struck by, you know, our Lord decided to appear right when Jairus heard his daughter died and said, don't be afraid. And I was thinking, would that be on the list of things not to say, <laughs> you know, like to tell parents, just have faith. Um, but then again, it's it's our Lord himself who's saying it. Uh, but that, that crucial moment of of initial loss and that yeah. Um, decision that Jairus had did I mean could you relate to that in those initial moments of of this mm-hmm. decision to give yourself over to fear and hurt and pain and woundedness and or to experience all those things but also faith in the midst of it how much of a decision is there really I don't know I don't think there's a decision it's like <laughs> survival I think mm-hmm. um but yeah there is a human component of grief that we have to like and even as faith-filled people that we do have to like take into consideration like it's it's the most for me it was the hardest thing that I had ever had been asked by God to do <laughs> so of course I did not feel prepared or strong enough to do that and I know that's so many of our our families, that's their story, but it's not absent of, of anything he's asked, uh, you know, of others in the Bible. I mean, when, you know, the angel appeared to Mary, like they said, be not afraid. So you can, you can bet she probably looked kind of afraid, you know, and that just, um, you know, it's, and we always say like at Redbird, you know, to, you have to be able to, to not be mastered by fear. So to allow yourself to experience like the things, the the uncertain things that it it, it brings, like the unplanned future. Um, you don't know that this is going to be something that you're going to struggle with for the rest of your life. It feels so hopeless. Um, so not allowing yourself to be mastered by it. You're going to feel these feelings. You're going to feel afraid. But because we have the hope for heaven, we know that we can experience both at one time. So it's a continuous surrender. I think every morning is like, yes, this really did happen to me, but I am going to try my hardest to continue to trust God's plan because ultimately, ultimately we know that his plan is perfect. Of course, each you and I both, if we had to write our story, it would not include these things. Um, But I do feel like even though God allowed this to happen to me, that um, he did not will my children to die, but he will allow me to be sanctified through their deaths. Yeah. Yeah. And we uh, we lost three children to miscarriage and it was definitely different. Let's say the third time around. Um, Not that it hurts less or there's. I mean, all all the depths and you know, the valley of the whole experience is still there, but there is a, a, when the Lord has walked you through this journey already, it's kind of like an education in the heart. Like my heart has been educated on how to grieve, how to lose, but still 
that God wins in the end. And um, it it seems like the ups and downs of the spiritual life is that lesson. It's that letting go of trust in God. And sometimes in very, very difficult ways, like the loss of a child. Some, you know, some people who haven't lost children have other fears, other wounds, other pains. But none of us are exempt from that reality that we have to trust the Lord with that part of our life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like whenever we talk about like the sword, the seven swords of mm-hmm. Mary for sorrows, it's that that's one of the things that we ask our families is what are your seven swords? And child loss is only one of them. You know, we all bring different facets into our life of things that we suffer. And I think it's just, you know, suffering in general, it's a lesson um, that we have to learn on earth is how to carry that. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um but I think the one thing that I have found that has been the most helpful is to do it in community. Um, together, we can do hard things. <laughs> yeah, now that you mentioned that, it, I just realized Jairus was in community the whole time because um, he sought Jesus, but there was a crowd of people around him. He was with his servants, at least, because they came bring him word. So he was, he was surrounded by people through the whole process. In fact, Jesus kicked out everybody at the, at the house, right? There were so many people there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the loss of a faith community seems to be essential and really willed by God that we would be in each other's lives enough. But there's this tendency when we lose or when we grieve or when we're in pain to isolate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you coach couples into, or parents that have lost, into that tendency we might have to isolate, but rather to, to focus on a community instead? Well, and it also too brings up like this, this, this grief naturally takes you into isolation, but there's this factor of this fear factor that if I go out in public, I'm going to encounter someone, or if I go, if I go somewhere to have this conversation, like it's going to feel worse. And what I have learned, and I just share my witness is that the thing that I thought would protect my heart the most was the destruction of my heart, Mm. because we know that we do not thrive in isolation. (laughs) When God created man, he, he said that he was alone and he, it's not good for us. Um, And it's hard. And I won't say that it was easy for, for me to be able to like trust. people with that sacred space in my heart. But whenever I was able to come into community with, with people who I did trust that had that same um, component, I think that's whenever I began to thrive again. So the way that we talk to families is um, by being witnesses. I'm not going to ask anyone to do something that I wasn't first willing to do myself. Well, that's so important. I mean, I think, uh, we don't really realize how much our fears and hurts and wounds impact the way we relate to each other. Um, and then St. Paul spent most of his ink in the New Testament writing to Christians who already believed to help them discover their heart more and more and more, uh, to become more like Christ more and more and more. It's not a one and done thing, um, but it's a, it's a lifelong conversion that our heart will become like the sacred heart of Jesus. Um, I think what you said is so profound that we feel like to protect our hearts, we have to destroy it or we have to, uh, yeah, we have to take on this guard, but even mm-hmm. more than a guard, like we have to, it's, it's something we can control, right? Like I can control um, blocking people out or, or 
seeing certain people as as the enemy or people that are whatever they won't understand me or whatever but really it's it's uh it's that great call to charity and in the midst of my fear of other people in my own heart that I would let Christ love me anyway and and love other people anyway um and so yeah I mean I I've often realized in my own life how my own insecurities and fears and wounds will make an impact on how I deal with others. And so I have to let Christ heal me. I have to let Christ take over my heart. Uh, there's no way to fake being healed by Jesus. You know, you have to actually do it. You got to do the work. Yeah, that's, yeah, especially in grief, we call it work because <laughs> it is, it's hard. It's hard to expose yourself, but um, I mean, it was, it's the way of the Christian, the Christian life. I mean, Jesus. He was vulnerable and he was open and he gave everything. And um, we're not asking people to like air their dirty laundry, like in mm-hmm. unsafe places. That's not what we're asking, but definitely to be authentic to, to Jesus first. And then to those people that you trust, let them help you. Yeah. I want to talk about prayer for a bit. Cause you know, it's interesting. Jairus sought Jesus the way the whole crowd was. Um, I mean, he sought Jesus in prayer, an earnest cry from his heart. Obviously, he had faith already. It wasn't just his daughter's sickness that gave him faith. He already had faith in Jesus. And even when he heard his daughter died, he had enough faith to want to stay with Jesus, remain with him. Mm -hmm. Um, He might have been mad at Jesus. He might have been angry. Like, hey, if we wouldn't have gotten caught up with this uh, woman with the hemorrhage, maybe we would have made it in time to save my daughter. Um, Maybe he was, you know. But he decided to pray anyway, to stay with Jesus in that hurt, in that pain, in that confusion. Um, I've heard from lots of people who have lost that it's it's hard to pray sometimes. Like there's this uh, stamina you have to have when you're grieving, when you're hurting, to uh, stay in communion with Jesus, to stay in that prayer. Yeah, it's definitely very hard to pray when you're angry. <laughs> um, Father Champagne said this and Brittany Primo she shared this one day with us about how sometimes he's so mad at God, he skips our father and goes straight to the Hail Mary because that <laughs> day he can only talk with his, with, with his, with the mother who, who understands. Um, I, I think it, you know, prayer, prayer to me is not just like, I'm going to check the box and I'm going to say these things, like, especially during this time, whenever just remembering to brush your teeth can sometimes be hard. And I think the cry of your heart is a prayer. Like the way that you feel like Jesus, he already knows he wants, he just wants you to, to lean in and and tell him how you feel. So I think putting too much pressure on oneself whenever they're in that, that, that state of mind, um, that's not what he really wants of us. He just wants us to, to want him to be with us in that space. It's like we say, pray as you can, not at you, as you ought. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that helps people like to not feel pressured that it has to look a certain way or feel a certain way, or we have to say a certain thing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, every, every encounter in the scriptures, God ordained from all eternity to, for us 2000 years later to be reading about it. And, um, it's not a dead letter, but this is God's living word in the gospel. And, uh, you know, there are many people who have not led Jesus into certain aspects of the heart. I remember a good friend of mine, when we lost our children, I, I let him know. And he said, you know, we had miscarriages too, but we never really thought about it. Like we never really, uh, thought about the need for healing, whatever. 
Um, that's a lot of people's story. Uh, and so I guess as some closing thoughts, um, it seems like the scriptures of the living word of God today is inviting us to go into those places in our heart that are not easy, that are not comfortable, that are hurt, that are wounded, but to bring Christ there uh, so he could bring us healing. Um, so maybe we could share some thoughts on that. Yeah, I always, this is one of the, those, those heels I'm willing to die on when I say that if death wasn't so terrible, um, Jesus would not have to have died and conquered death. So someone's response to someone dying is mourning. That is appropriate. And, and so I just, I just, I really feel that Jesus, he laid that roadmap out for us in, in the passion. And he, he teaches us how, how to do this, how to, um, how to experience death and dying and to keep that hope for heaven. Um, and he does it so beautifully. But to your point, when you said about, um, you know, some people not thinking that they need healing, I do sometimes feel like it, um, if we don't as Catholics address life loss at all points in, in the womb, all the, you know, all the way up, then we really won't be able to have a strong, um, foot and foundation on that pro-life movement. Uh, so the way that we respond to people when they lose a baby in the womb, it should match the same way that we advocate uh, for someone not to kill that child. I don't know if yeah. that makes sense to you, but I just feel yeah. like honoring the dignity of the life loss in the womb is equally as important. No, totally. I mean, uh, the value of the human life, um, the life that Christ died on the cross to save, uh, even mm -hmm. in the in the little womb. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for your time. And uh, remind us where we could find you. www.redbird.love That's easy enough, redbird.love. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you.